0: subject tonight for this second class is Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but God as having revealed his reality, his truth to us. And just to say some fundamental things about that, this is again one of those classes in which you're just hearing that Orthodox Church more or less believes the basic things about God that, that one would expect it to be believed as, as Christians, as people who are believers in God. Bishop Callistos Ware of of Oxford, England is a famous church writer in our day, and he said this he said it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not the object of our knowledge, but the cause of our wonder." So we enter into that that understanding of wonder, of mystery, of of not presuming to know everything about God, even when we say some specific positive things. Um, The question, does God exist? Orthodoxy would say cannot be decided by the intellect alone, by our mind alone. That um, both scholars and un- uneducated people believe and disbelieve. There are believing scholars and disbelieving scholars. There are believing uneducated people and disbelieving uneducated people. And uh, it's a mystery, to that in, even in itself, as to the matter of faith, as to who believes and who accepts the reality of, of God and, and, and who does not, the, we would say that the knowledge of God is true knowledge and the de- denial of God is true ignorance. That orthodoxy presumes that in the knowledge and communion with God that we're given knowledge, we're given truth, we're given insight into life. And orthodoxy, in its approach to the basic questions of life, always presumes the existence of God. It doesn't really get into proofs, um, but simply says amen to the reality of God. Whereas the West, Western philosophical theological thought often starts from the point of doubt, and then needs proof to say, okay, now prove it to me. Um, But we're going to do a little bit of that proofing, but not just, just to, again, to make it clear that um the basics are covered in the in the church's understanding of 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 who God is. So when we speak of God's revelation, we speak of outward signs, inward signs, universal cultural, historical signs, the law, Christ our Lord, the church as as um aspects of God's revelation of, of where God is revealed to us so the outward sign is in creation in the order and beauty and rationality of God's of, of the created realm of the inner of the beauty and inner purpose rationality and order of creation reveals God the laws of nature we would say we claim reveal, Something of of God that that one has to sort of suspend belief to 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 when looking and going into the the depths of creation, the depths of the reality, the mystery of of life and of human life, uh, to to say that it's just all an accident, it's all just a uh, cut by by chance that it all somehow came about. I like to watch these. Um, science shows which talk about the universe and its establishment and the creation and they they'll say things like the earth is just in just in the right exact position uh in relation to the sun uh if it was just a little further it'd be too cold if it was just a it's like the porridge and the three bears it was a little if it was too close to the sun it'd be too hot it's just it's somehow magically it's just right and then somehow there's just the right amount of atmosphere and the the church and the and the, the earth is the right size if it was if it was too large the gravity would be too strong and would squash us down if uh, so uh, or, or no if it was too large we would we would float away if it was too small would uh, no you're right I'm right <laughs> if it was too large the gravity would be too strong but that's why the moon you can bounce around on the moon because it's smaller and so there's less gravity, so it's too small then but though I wouldn't mind if we could be able to have put a little <laughs> bounce in our step anyway, everything's just right, and gravity is a key factor of it of just everything seems to if it's an accident it's it's uh and 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 then you have again these scientific atheistic commentators using the word magic and things like that and and coincidence and so forth but uh, there's an order there's a rationality there's there's a pattern. And so we speak of that, the outward sign. Um, St. Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century father, brother of St. Basil, said, when you, when you see uh, someone's cloak, someone's clothing, you think of the weaver. When you see a ship, you imagine the shipbuilder. Uh, when you see a building, you might think of the, of the hand and the plans of the, of the builder, the architect. Why then should they who see the world pretend not to see God um, whom this wondrous world manifests and proclaims, so the fathers of the church are 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 very ready to say the creation reveals something of of God of, of its of his essence of his truth um, Saint John Chrysostom, contemporary of St. grace, the creation brought forth in our midst uh, is 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 God as the teacher of his own of his own majesty That's creation is a teacher of god 's majesty um. The world is so wondrous that he who created it um, is infinitely greater and more wondrous. So there's that, the outward sign. St. Athanasius, also in the 4th century, said, God so adorned creation so that even though he cannot be seen in nature, he is nevertheless known through his works. And and so the, the fathers are careful not to confuse the creation with the creator, but still that it reveals his majesty saint gregory of the theologian gaze O man at the stars the sun the moon think of the air the clouds the rain observe the earth the mountains the plains the trees the plants the the waters of the rivers and lakes the endless animal kingdom ponder how each of these moves how it lives what it offers to the whole creation what it offers to to us consider well that it offers food comfort life and countless other benefits then you will be overcome by ecstasy and awe by wonder at the order and harmony and the wise plan which all the world in general and each creature individually contains within it he says also even wonder at the cleverness and prudence of the animals the so-called dumb animals you know that their their instincts and the and the wisdom they have and how they shape their lives is another another in indication of of god Of God's wisdom. Then there's the inward sign, the inward, the more sense of the intuition. Um, St. John Chrysostom, God from the very beginning has instilled in us the knowledge of himself. There's a certain self-evidence of God, an inner light of God's reality if we look for it, if we're open to it, that our soul in its inner recesses senses God's presence and seeks after him and perceives good and evil saint athanasius for the knowledge and true understanding of god we do not need proofs for god's existence which are far from us or outside of us for having within ourselves the faith and kingdom of god we are able to see quickly and comprehend the king of all in other words don't go look for god uh, out there look within the mystical call of the soul within St. Gregory the theologian, thus the word from God, which is innate in all all human beings and which is the first law in us and found in all men, has led us up to God, the word of God within us. Questions on that? Very basic, but again what we are saying is God God wishes to reveal himself to us, wishes to make himself known and 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 does so um, for all those for all those who are seeking who are looking so the universal cultural historical sign of God's revelation, of God's presence. All of mankind confirms that all races and tongues of the earth and all generations and epics always had a common and all common belief in the existence of God the creator. Peoples without religion have, have never existed, if not monotheism, polytheism, multiple gods, idolatry. Um, we have a on in our community an archaeo- archaeologist, anthropologist Dr. Innocent Krauss who um, has studied the world's cultures and, and indeed it's hard to find atheism in all the vast pagan cultures uh, that one might look at wherever they might be there, there's some always some reference to the transcendent to God or gods multiple um, beyond us and that um, you just don't see typically don't see uh, atheism. That's more of a modern aberration. And I want to quote, I always quote in the class, something from a Roman writer who existed uh, uh, in the first century, who lived in the first century A.D. He was not specifically a Christian, but he lived uh, in the time after Christ. And he, he writes this about about um, the universal, cultural, historical sign of of, of God's presence. He said, wherever you go, you may find cities without walls, without schools, without kings, without inhabitants, without currency, without theaters or gymnasia. But an atheist city, without the need for prayers and vows, for oracles and sacrifices, for beneficence, you will never see For such does not exist. It seems to me that one one can more easily find a city without ground than one without religion and belief in God. Such a city cannot exist, and should perchance such exist, it cannot endure. So, Plutarch, even then, is pointing out the irrationality of atheism, that it it has not flourished anywhere, and it, it makes... It makes no sense. St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, We do not explain to you what God is, for in matters concerning God it is great knowledge to be able to confess our unknowability. So the question, how can we know God, even, even what we think we know is, 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 is limited, even though we, we trust that God has revealed St. John of Damascus says um, the divine is infinite and incomprehensible, and the only thing comprehensible about it is its infinity and incomprehensibility. In other words, how can our minds reach so far? How can we know God? Um, our God is inaccessible and our mind cannot contain him, and yet, yet we, we, we do believe we can have contact with God, communion with God, but the point of the Father's teaching about knowledge is um, we can never know God as God which is to say we can never know God as God knows himself which isn't really anything that unusual to say because each of us, though we know each other we might be best friends, we might be married for 30 years to someone or whatever but you can never know that other person as they know themselves so that's kind of what the fathers are saying about God and they make a distinction do the fathers between the um, essence the essence and energies of God that we cannot know God in his essence we cannot know God as God knows himself we cannot know the father as as the son knows the father we cannot know the Father as the Spirit knows the Father. We cannot know God as he knows himself in his inner being, in his divine nature or essence, which is infinite, transcendent, unlimited. We are finite, we are limited, but we can know God in his energies. In the scripture we read in in the first chapter of John, the, the prologue, no one has ever seen God, which is to say no one has grasped God. God tells Moses, you shall not see my face, for no man shall see my face and live." Exodus thirty-three twenty. But in the rest of, God, of John, uh, John one eighteen, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father hath revealed Him. And the Holy Spirit knows God the Father, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. First Corinthians two ten. St. Basil, the Father, God the Father is known only to God the Son and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Yet despite all this, we can know God, for God did not leave himself without witnesses. Acts fourteen seventeen. We sing in the matin service, in the morning service of the church, God is the Lord and has revealed himself to us. Psalm 118. So he has revealed himself to us, shown himself to us, through nature and the works of creation, through the inner witness of our souls, also through the law of the Old Testament that he gave to Israel is another sign of, of, of the Lord's truth and revelation but, but most perfectly who, through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ whom he sent into the world and then we would say in the Orthodox faith through, also through his church, his body the body of Christ in the world is the church but the most perfect and full revelation of God is in Jesus Christ he says he who has seen me has seen the Father John 12:44 In him Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell Colossians 1:19 He Christ is the icon the image of the invisible God Colossians 1:15 So no ability the essence and energies the innermost being of God as God knows himself cannot be known remains a mystery um, but the energies God communicates us to us through his energies Saint Basil the Great says, "From his, from God's energies, from all the good things that He does for our benefit and salvation, do we know God? We do not say that we can approach Him as far as His essence is concerned. Why? Because His energies come down to us, but His essence remains unapproachable. So God communicates us with us through His energies, but not, but we cannot know Him in His essence. His actions and works reach us, and we see them. Yet His essence remains an unapproachable mystery." We can possess a partial knowledge of God, and this we have from his divine characteristics and energies, from his providence and care, which come down to us and by which the All All High shows us his care for our welfare and our progress. Yes?
1: When somebody dies and if they enter the kingdom, do they then know God in his essence, or is that still kept from even no
0: they still it's still all communicated through god's energies that we never it's just a matter of reality of the fact that we can't know god as god is in his, in his essence but it doesn't mean that we don't grow from from glory to glory from grace to grace and go deeper into union with god and communion with god and mm-hmm. and, and and to into the depths of god's glory because our the energies are what i was about to say the energies are not an intermediary force like that God sends out to contact us—it's still His personal presence. When we speak of grace, grace is not an abstract energy or force, even though we use the word energy. Grace is the very presence of God, of the Holy Spirit, and the very the very presence of God, communicating so that so that God's pers- energies are personal, and the actual contact with God. And in an in effect in a similar way we are communicating to each other with our energies the energies of our personality the energies of our presence but not our the essence of each of us is not known even though we all share the same human nature so there's not another human being shouldn't be strange to us because we're, we're we share common human nature but um those energies of each person of each personality are communicated uniquely differently for each of us uh in the mystery of of the human personality so it's again it's it's not it's not a a, a, a strange concept that energies and energy the the essence and energies contrast it's really how we live it's how our our ontological presence our own being is is expressed. Uh, through it, through our energies, and God the same way in His divine energies.
1: Can I ask a
2: follow-up question? Sure. Uh, can we understand the energies of God as like the Holy Spirit, or is it more than that, or? That's no, the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah. Well, we, the would, Holy spirit we would say in in as with the revelation of the New Test of the New Covenant, at the outpouring of Pentecost, that God would pour His Spirit on all flesh. Um, it's in jeremiah where we it reads um um instead of instead of the law be instead of the law written on tablets it's written on the on the on the on the uh on human hearts um, also the the temple the
2: new temple is within
0: yeah J- jeremiah thir- uh, 30, uh, 31 uh But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So that Jeremiah is pointing ultimately to the new covenant when he says, talked about, the because the law was still this external written code, whereas now the law will be written on the heart. So God communicating his truth to us through the Holy Spirit inwardly. So there actually, in, in Roman Catholic theology, there is there had developed an understanding of quote-unquote created grace grace as an intermediate force that God creates to, to make contact with us and to, to bless us, to touch us but it's not, it's not the presence of the Holy Spirit but it is in fact that intermediary type of effect if God sends out an effect of contact with him, but it's not himself. It is an intermediary created created for us. Now they won't always talk about that, but it's in the books. it's it's in their it's in their thinking. Um that that we don't always in the West it was always that that God was more abstract and further away and harder to, to con- con- and they and they would make fun of the Eastern uh, mystical tradition of of going into a depth of prayer and making deep deep contact with God that way, they would say no God's beyond, God's not approachable, but He sends His created grace to give you something pat on the head sort of spiritually, you know, um, which the pre- reformers kind of rejected all that too, or just kind of said no that's not biblical, you know. Yes.
2: If I recall correctly, Father, that was the, the big contention between uh, Barlam and Saint Gregory Palamas. Yes. The uh, the distinction between the essence and whatnot. Yeah. uh, Didn't Saint Gregory Palamas eventually point out to Barlam that if logically he continued that God was truly unknowable, even in His energies, that His energies were something created, and therefore God is unknowable. That if if logically you continued down that route. That it would eventually lead to atheism.
0: Yes, and it did in yes. West Western thinking.
1: Yes.
0: That God is so unknowable and so beyond, and we we are
2: secular down here, and God is up there.
0: Yeah, and there's even certain fear of of too much too much um, warmth and emotionalism and connection to God and 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 uh, spirituality, which. You see that in the West. There's a there's a dry academic theology and then there's something that reacts to it, a kind of Pentecostalism type of thing and a emotional stirring, uh kind of apocalyptic groups breaking off throughout throughout the last five hundred years and trying to recapture the the warmth, the grace, the, the fire. Um so there's always this the fire's gone out, we have to relight the fire kind of thing going on in, in Western Christianity. Whereas um even Billy Graham said that the Eastern Church never lost track of the sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Church, and that's very much what we're talking about when we start talking about Holy Tradition, but um, a direct encounter with the, with the very presence of God in the Holy Spirit. So yeah, there's a... When, when often Western minds talk about the Eastern Church as mystical which means we're kind of off in the cloud somewhere. It's not a compliment. It's kind of like they're mystical. You know, they're over there, you know, just sort of, you know, doing some spiritual stuff. But but we come back and say, no, Christianity always was in its essence the encounter with the living God that's not just for experts or not just for, for you know, hermits off in the desert, but that we can all have a real, you know, uh, direct and encounter with God that that God wants us to have that God is he's open to us whereas in western thought often it's God is sort of I mean we use the word mystery but that doesn't mean we don't know anything it's not mystery like in a mystery novel where you're just getting clues we we just say that God by his nature remains mysterious to us because we can never know God as God knows himself God is infinite we're finite God is unlimited we're limited but we can still know, we can still, and he wants us to know. And it's by his energies that we know him. And that's real, personal, and not, again, some, some, some intermediary, but, but actual the actual presence of God. We believe, and this is important, um, orthodox claim, that God has shown as much as we can see and understand uh, of himself. That the spirit of God teaches the deepest knowledge. He gives us what we need to know about him. He's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He's not playing hard to get. He's not playing... But 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 the teaching is um, how we connect to God is, has something to do with our own state of being. Um, um, that knowledge of God is personal, it's experiential, It's it's mystical. But our own state of being, <clears throat> which is to say... We speak of we, we speak in terms and use the word uh, purity, which makes some people nervous. What do you mean by purity? But our 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 own state, our own uh, the 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 um, our, our, our own the quality of our own spiritual life opens to us knowledge, contact, communion with God, union with God. St. Gregory of Nyssa said, he who has cleansed his heart from all created things and from passionate disposition sees in his own beauty the image of the divine nature. So that's a way, a reference to to what um, what we're saying.
1: Oh, I saw something... Uh Interesting, the other day I was looking in the Proverbs and uh, the King James translates uh, the word pure, the Hebrew word pure, and I, I went back and looked up the Hebrew word and it comes from uh, smelting. So we take gold and purify yeah. it in a fire. Yes. So that the, the, the idea is contact with that which makes it pure. Yes. Um, not simply in a moral, sort of abstract moral way, but. Um, I find that really helpful, imagining that.
0: you yes, you're right in the sense that I mean, you're right that it's like well, we not until we get pure ourselves, we can't make contact with God. No, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's through contact it's God. through We've contact done. with God that we're purified. Mm-hmm. Um, looking for a quote here. 1 mm-hmm. John 3, three first letter of John, and every man that hath hope in Him, hope in Christ, purifieth himself, even as He is pure. Every man that hath hope in him purifies himself as he is pure so it's not some strange Eastern idea of purity it's scriptural um, someone wrote a theologian said a, a, a man as long as sin as long as sin darkens your soul even though mystery even those mysteries of God in which you could have knowledge through your own nature remain hidden un, and unknown to you Only if you cleanse yourself from sinful feelings and passions, only then does the path and the door leading to the knowledge of God open in in accordance to your mind's ability and in relation to the enlightenment which you receive from the Holy Spirit. You approach God and come to the knowledge of the essential things of all that God does for your salvation. And we will talk about this um, throughout the course, the mystery of, of our cooperation with God how are we saved what's the orthodox uh definition of salvation the orthodox definition of salvation is cooperation with god god's energies our energies synergy the combination of those energies is 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 how we understand salvation and and we argue that's the exactly the biblical new testamental definition of salvation that it all through the exhortations of st paul of st peter of st john and their letters is to encourage the christians to grow in grace to grow uh, towards god to challenge themselves to to open themselves and co-op, to cooperate with god and and so um, it's never well if i do this this and this then 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 god will come to me but it's always it's always this cooperation in all things i'm seeking god god seeking to allow me to seek him God's helping me to seek. Now there's this other force, as we talked about in the first class, the sh- the, this, the uh, serpent in the garden that we didn't that doesn't really get ex- itself explained. That we now understand it to be the devil, a fallen archangel. That that force is impeding and working against our our growing in grace, our growing in the knowledge and experience of God, and so there's a resistance force. Um, so it's so why why aren't we all just uh, glowing with God's grace continually and, and full of the Holy Spirit? Well, partly because there is there is a resistance to that, um, where every time we want to pray, there's often a, a voice that says, "No, take out the trash." or no go go do something else look on the oh look on the internet what is that yeah um to keep us from the one thing needful as as uh as uh, the lord called it um, so theology theology means the knowledge the knowledge of god so my took my red and green i'm so disappointed back yeah they're saving it
3: <laughs>
0: theology means theos is Greek and Greek is oh, theos is God so look at the knowledge of God or a word about God literally in Russian Bogoslov which means oh, the word about God but theology is the knowledge of God um, we're all theologians if we if we are seeking praying um, because as, as someone said, a true theologian is one who prays and one who prays is a true theologian that um, the knowledge of God comes by prayer worship, communion, experience um, the teachings about God that God has shown to us in encounter and experience with the body of the people of God first the Jews and then the church first the Old Testament then the New Testament Um that God has has revealed himself poured out his knowledge knowledge from the Bible from the word of God but knowledge of the living word of God of Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate knowledge we're not a religion of the book but of living communion of living contact with the living God and the whole life of the church is to accomplish that to bring us into contact into communion into connection into union with God um so the, the experience of, of, of our life in God is both communal, within the community, but also personal, one-on-one with God, both together and individually. Um, there's a seeking a seeking after God. Topic now, which I should have had handouts ready for you, but I will next week, I'm sorry, is holy tradition. Holy tradition. Which doesn't sound all that exciting, but from the orthodox point of view, it's very exciting. <laughs> Once we get into it, Saint Nectarius of Pentapolis, a, uh, a Greek bishop saint in the early twentieth century, said, "Holy tradition is the very is the very church. Without sacred tradition, the church does not exist. Those who deny the sacred tradition deny the church and the preaching of the apostles." So tradition comes from the word, uh, the tradition is the word for something to be passed on, handed down, given over. Um, you tradi- It's literally in Greek a, a verb. You can tradition something to someone. Um, the Greek word is parodesis. That doesn't really help anything other than so you know I know the Greek word but <laughs> but, it, but it, it can be used again as an action verb you tradition you hand something over the Old Testament people of Israel had their own tradition there was an Old Testament tradition which we say we believe is fulfilled completed surpassed transcendent by Christ and the New Testament church there are multiple ways of of, of stating tradition what it is that it's the, the ongoing uh, life of God's people, that it's the, um, the one total life and experience of the church passed on through time and space, from people to people, transferred from place to place, from generation to generation. So it's, it's the life of the church, it's the life of God's people, guided by the Holy Spirit guided by the Holy Spirit it's, it's really from which orthodoxy gets its understanding, its self-understanding, its, its claim to be what it is um, that holy tradition is everything in the church which pertains essentially and necessarily to the kingdom of God that has eternal value and effect that, that for our salvation that's needful for our salvation that's salvific um, it's, it's the essentials so we speak of tradition as being apostolic Christ gave the tradition to the apostles the apostles handed it down to the next generation and down to the present day within the church. We argue that Christ did not come to start a new religion, but but to start the church. The central part of holy tradition is New Testament scriptures, the gospel and the rest. But we remember, we remember there was a time When the scriptures were not existing or not set, which is to say, the New Testament scriptures. Obviously, when Christ comes, there's the entire Old Testament is already written, and when when he says, "Search the scriptures that they speak of me," he's referring to the Old Covenant scriptures, to the Old Testament. Um, The New Testament hasn't been written. In fact, in fact, um, scholars and and not just any old scholars, but generally biblical scholars um believe and teach or that um when we speak of the new testament scriptures which is to say Matthew Mark Luke and John the gospels and all the other uh writings the book of acts and the epistles as we call them the letters of of various letters of the apostles that that compose the new testament that doesn't begin to be written most scholars think until around the year 50 to 55 A.D. and it's not; they're not saying that as some kind of an attack on Christianity or some kind of a uh, undermining of it. It's just saying, as far as they know, with with the uh, the fragments of parchment that we that are in our hands, that most likely the beginning of scripture of New Testament scripture writing was not till after fifty A.D. And 50-55 A.D., they think the first documents are the first and second letters of Thessalonians. And that thereafter, from 50 A.D. through 100 A.D., the New Testament is written. The New, As we know it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and finally John. John writes last. John writes in his old age. That's why when you see the icon of, of St. John, the, the evangelist, He's got a scribe. He has a. He's got a secret. He's got a stenographer because he's old. He's up in years. He's about a hundred years old himself, or close to it. And so, he's got his <coughs> assistant writing for him. His hand so up. So what? What we call the New
3: Testament would have originally just been fully traditional word of mouth handed down.
0: From well, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah, that there's so there's this gap. I mean, conventionally, when did the Lord? depart this life and then and resurrect and he ascended we because we we date our you know we date our time from 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 his birth so we mark conventionally thinking the 33 AD is when he ascends and and is, is his earthly life and mission is completed so there's gap 33 beginning to 50 55 and so on um, we we believe he established the church. He says, "Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it." So the church is established. We say, "The church is established by the Holy Spirit." When anybody know? <laughs> the Pentecost. Pentecost. Yes sorry to go back to the, about St.
2: John the disciple, is there a name for the stenographer? I know the Orthodox seem to have a name for everybody,
1: but is, is that just a, I don't know I've heard know it know. called a yeah, is there a name
0: for him, I guess I'm, I'm not name sure name? if it's Prochorus yeah. Prochorus? It is it Prochorus? Anybody know? Um. it's known it's known it, it, it's, if it's not Prochorus, it's, it's it's something else, but it it's yeah, he's known
2: one of the letters of Saint Polycarp mentions him uh, as he's writing, talking about Saint Ignatius coming around and collecting the the, the memoirs of the apostles, you know, the, the, the epistles. Yes,
0: so. yeah, does mentions his name. Um, I'll look that up. You can look it up now. Um, but yes, he's known. And um, so why do we? Why are we hung up? On holy tradition because we say because it's commonly thought especially in the Protestant realm that well the early Christians got their Bible and went to church just like we do today well they didn't have it there was no New Testament and the Old Testament was huge and it wasn't in book form and it wasn't available it was in the temples it was in the synagogues um You didn't have the scriptures in front of you, so you're a New Testament Christian. You're 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 in the apostolic era, in the beginning of the life of the church. You're living in 40 A.D. The Lord has ascended. He's he's left us, left his church, guided, fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, created by the Holy Spirit. But there's no written text. There's no written text for anything. There's no New Testament. There's no Gospels. What do we do we say the church was relying on holy tradition which is to say the inner life of the holy spirit guiding the church guiding the people of god guiding god's people keeping them in the truth teaching them what they should do from pentecost the apostles were taught here's what you do when you gather for worship on the lord's day the lord's day having become no longer saturday the sabbath but the next day sunday um, and and even when the New Testament is written, there are there's very limited uh, reference to worship and what's done. So how do they know what to do? We say holy tradition. They were guided. They were shaped. The leaders of the church were inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach and to guide and to to set up church life. Um, without without the Scriptures. But then the Scriptures began to be written and that's great and what are those scriptures um, besides the gospel writers themselves the others are mostly letters to churches St. Paul writes first letter to the church in Thessalonica and then the second letter to them they get this letter this is a letter of encouragement and, and guidance and blessing to them they read it in, in their in their gatherings um, they say this is great let's share this letter um, with the Colossians down in Colossae, which is down south from Thessaloniki. So somebody has to hand, hand copy that letter and then take it by either on foot or on horseback or whatever to down to Colossae. They discovered they get down to Colossae with a letter. Oh, we've got a letter from Paul also. Letter to the Colossians. Well, we'll copy our letter and send it up to you all this is happening in old world time no transportation, modern transportation no modern means of of dissemination of the texts everything literally from one copy to the next is hand copied hand written so even by 100 AD when the New Testament as we know it is, is written not everybody even has it the church in Jerusalem, they might. Okay, we got the Gospel of Luke. We've got the letters of James. He's our first bishop of Jerusalem. We've got uh, we've got uh, Romans. We sent our letters to you know our uh, letters of James to Rome. They sent us Romans that Paul wrote to the Romans. Um, we've got uh, maybe Mark Gospel of Mark, but even again, all of that had to be copied, distributed, sent around so that the church did exist it lived it was alive it was real and and that early church we, we honor it as hey they were the you know this is the apostolic community the next generation the 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 church of the bible times um but there was again it took it took generate a couple generations for what we know to be now the new testament which is tied to the old and all comes in nice one nice package um, it took it took literally uh maybe maybe a century or two um, for those texts to be distributed when and even when a new church started, then they would need the texts also. so when we say that they had the texts, chances are wherever the church was meeting and whoever the leaders were, they had the texts in their hands. nobody at home had like their own New Testament unless they're really wealthy and they could pay a scholar writer to do that. Um, so even even then in the early church, the average Christian did not have the Bible, did not have the text in front of them. Um, how did the church how was the church to be the church? So we would say this is holy this is where holy tradition comes in, that holy tradition comes before the, the New Testament scriptures exist. But is guiding and shaping the church, and even though we would say today that the New Testament scriptures are the foundation of holy tradition, are the first sort of the first source. Still, holy tradition—the church existed before the scriptures, before the New Testament scriptures. So, which came first, chicken or egg? Well, in this case, clearly the chicken. Sure, uh, church.
3: church came first. So, um, yeah.
0: And so that's why we, we insist that, that holy tradition, God guiding his church, God guiding his church um, within the Holy Spirit is a key to understanding orthodoxy. And, and we look at it really this way in, in the sense of um, uh, someone, someone wants to ask, well, who's in charge of your church? we live in a Catholic area and they always wanted to assert the Pope our friends who's in charge of your church and we would say Christ and Christ we would say but, but really the answer is Christ through the Holy Spirit through holy tradition in the western, in the western concepts of Christianity um, it's like you have external powers over and above the church uh, in the Roman Catholic model, the Pope is like an authority over and above the Church. The Church looks to the Pope the Pope guides the church he's he 's above he 's Bishop of the bishops he he's you know, has universal jurisdiction over the Church. The average Protestant denominational vision of church life is we look to the Bible we look to the Bible the Bible as An authority over and above the church even like outside the church we look to the Bible in Orthodoxy we have bishops we we have bishops we have the scripture but the the authority in the life of the church is an inner not authority over but inner authority of the Holy Spirit within the church keeping the church in the truth that's the mystery of orthodoxy we have bishops they sometimes get along, sometimes don't. But um and we and we 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 have the scripture. We would even say, which sounds arrogant, that the church wrote the scriptures. Thank you very much. The, ch- the scripture, New Testament is a product of the church, written in the church by the church for the church, which is something we as modern readers should remember that in the sense that St. Paul is not writing a letter to me and you. We, we we can read the scripture that way at times, and it's feel like it's speaking to me, boom. But to remember that they're writing to churches, to the churches, to to strengthen the body of Christ, to build up the church, and we can benefit by reading that and it and let it be let it be a message to us. But not to not to get into the place of sink thinking that Me and my Bible and what it says to me for me, um, you know, exclusively. Yes.
2: I think I read something somewhere, sort of like a, almost like a a proto-Protestant mindset that developed in the late Middle Ages around uh, Germany, that began with the use of the uh, of the Roman Catholic rosary, where you would imagine yourself as if instead of Christ uh, speaking to the church, Christ is speaking directly to you, and I think that might be where uh, where where that mindset comes from. That you know, oh, Saint Paul is writing this oh Oh, it's, it's it's speaking directly to me. Whereas, no, he's speaking to the church. You yeah. that could be something to do with it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure though, but I,
0: I just I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, because <laughs> Protestantism was definitely a movement of towards an individual approach to the faith. You may. You may be attached to a given faith group, but not entirely loyal to it. The church is something beyond your local faith group. It's the mystical body of all believers somehow. Everybody's everybody's in the church. Everybody's a Christian somehow, except for Rome. Um, but well, in some case that's how they saw it. But but um. But again, orthodoxy comes from the point of view of the church is the foundation established by God. And guided by God in the holy tradition, we say the tradition is not simply conservatism only, um, but the tradition is changeless because God is changeless god doesn't change in in the in the sense of his truth. God doesn't say one thing t- to one generation and it's something new or different to another generation. God doesn't contradict himself, so God doesn't change in his message in his his essence, and so the faith doesn't change um Orthodox tradition is changeless, a personal encounter with Christ and the Holy Spirit. As we read in Jude, verse 3, the letter of Jude, the faith, it speaks of the faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. Holy tradition. St. John of Damascus, writing in, in the, uh, 700, says, We do not change the everlasting boundaries which our fathers have set, but we keep the tradition just as we received it. So the tradition is changeless, the tradition is holy, but we also would say that it's living, it's a living tradition, that it's a, it's a living encounter. Each generation must receive the holy tradition. Each generation must encounter the Holy Spirit. Each generation is open, is given the possibility of, of living the faith, of living the truth, of, of experiencing the grace of tradition and we have we speak as well if the scriptures are the written tradition that there is an unwritten tradition and that goes back again to the question of how the early Christians know how to worship well there was an unwritten tradition it was handed down by word of mouth for us um, word is rumor word tends to be well somebody so and so said and so and so said and and the message gets changed and, and, and um, over time when it's when it's when it's passed down to three or four different people. But in the, in 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 terms of the ancient world and learning. In the ancient world, because going back to the fact that again, you didn't have multiple printed texts to study from and learn from, much education was oral, was was spoken and heard. By rote, you you would learn passages spoken to you. You would repeat it and learn it and internalize it, and that was education. You might write your pages of your words and your letters if you were uh, a person who would be literate and educated, but you wouldn't have a book of life I mean, there was a vast <clears throat> library in Alexandria in the ancient world, and it was a great. It was a great. A treasure, there. Um, those were those were scrolls. Those were manuscripts, as we as we know today. And then there was a fire, and, and a lot of it was lost. But um, learning was was often by word of mouth. That was the unwritten tradition. But it for them, it was revert, entirely reliable. It was expected, and you would and people would even learn their own family history tradition that way. You know, you'd say. okay children we are the joneses and i'm daddy jones and there's mama jones and we come from grandmom and grandpop jones and so and so and the smiths are are, are, our mama's parents and and this is our clan and our family and our kin and now tell me again who are we (laughs) and read it back and tell us then who 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 are your people and 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 learn that um your family history you know uh and we came from so and so and we came here and um that's That's how you would learn. You would learn both personal your personal history as well as the the learning the education uh, would come uh, largely by by hearing and repeating and and for them it, it because it was so essential that if you didn't learn it um, and you couldn't write it down or or um, you it, you didn't have the resources to write it down even if you knew how to write. That you that you a lot of a lot of knowledge was was um, was internalized in, in that way, and again, it was considered it wasn't considered haphazard or, or unreliable, but it was it was the way it was the way you learned things. Um, so um, and so and a lot of and I and I think you see that in a lot of in the in church worship and Orthodoxy. It's it's expected that you're listening. A lot of stuff's thrown at you. The hymns are, are sung at you. The scriptures read pu- publicly. You don't have the words, you know, in the bouncing ball up, you know, on a, on a Chiron or whatever going by so that you can follow, sing along. Um, you're expected to hear. Um, and that was the old way. You, you, you learn by listening, you learn by hearing. So, um, and it's a challenge to us um, who are used to reading, are comfortable learning things. Uh, with text and so forth that um, that the church is more of a listening experience but that that's an indication of its, of its ancientness too of it being part of that old way so unwritten tradition was important unwritten tradition was the way the apostles established the local church life without having the New Testament scripture until those guidelines were written and given around and even then again they weren't guidelines for worship but just encouraging people how to live the Christian life that um holy tradition the holy spirit guiding god's people that's um the belief that <clears throat> the whole people of god who are each of them each and every one of them fallible sinful um short you know uh, wounded uh broken uh, no one no one perfect no one ideal no one able to to express the fullness of the faith in themselves, but the whole body of God's people, guided by God, that the church stays within the truth. People may fall out of it, may leave it, may reject it, um, but the church remains the church, and um, we believe we would say that holy tradition has has witnessed itself in orthodoxy through down through the centuries where. There's a consistency and a faithfulness in Orthodox doctrine, and and worship and spirituality and so forth that that each generation that the fourth century fathers and the twelfth century fathers understand each other and say the same thing in their own words, but they they continue to teach the same thing, and the twelfth century fathers and the twenty first century fathers say the same thing and teach the same thing and and and. Present the same faith um, that 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 can only be from God. That can only be from God. And wherever you go in the world, I've said this maybe already, but the liturgy is the liturgy. Wherever you are, Australia, I, I London, Paris, I've been to, I've been to Orthodox churches in London, Paris, Geneva, um, Moscow, Saint Petersburg. <coughs> Um, Philadelphia, New York, but the the point being Birmingham, Alabama. The point being that it's the church is the church everywhere, wherever you go, wherever wherever you might be. If you go to Hong Kong, the liturgy will be the liturgy, and it's reliable. It's 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 there. Um, not because not because guys got together and say, hey, let's all be this way or do this this way no that they, they couldn't you could never have orchestrated humanly the inner consistency of teaching and and of uh and and worship in orthodoxy it only it could only be god we would say it could only be god shaping guiding directing it and there was no big reformation in orthodoxy there was no point in orthodoxy where where someone said hey where the whole thing's out of whack we got to do we have to do a redo we have to we have to do a reset that was never that was never in the mind of the church at any time in history. I mean, there were little incidents of some changes and things in, in various spots that actually would always cause trouble, but, but never and over, never uh, the big picture of any kind of reformation, really as there was both in Rome with the Reformation itself and then with Vatican II Council in in the 1960s a radical change of, of everything. St. Basil of Grace said about unwritten traditions, some things we have from, ri- from written teaching, others we have received from the apostolic tradition handed down to us in a mystery, and both these things have the same force of piety. So it's both both unwritten and written tradition have the same force of reliability that we can look to it. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, writing in the year 150 A.D., said, Where the Church is, there is also the Spirit of God, and where the Spirit of God is, there is the Church and all his grace. So again, it's the Holy Spirit. Holy Tradition is simply another word for the Holy Spirit in the inner life of the Church. The Holy Spirit guided the Scripture writers in the New Testament to write the words that they wrote. I spend too much time on Holy Tradition. But because it, it's important. <clears throat> so there. now we go into the different elements of tradition. We're not going to get too far along in this. but So there is the Bible as the first place in Holy Tradition. The Church's worship, which is to say the Church's worship as that which reveals what the Church believes, as a source of truth. Teaching in truth, the Church councils. There are seven famous Church councils, the seven Ecumenical councils. There are the writings of the Church Fathers, from the first century down to the present. There are the lives of the saints, the saints' lives as as teaching, as a for, as a uh, authority of, of teaching of of revealing the truth of of Christianity in their very lives. There's also um, Canon law and the church's artistic expression, iconography, hymnography, etc. I'll just put icon. I didn't, actually didn't like
3: <laughs>
0: so, the Bible does have the first place. Um, but all these all these parts of holy scripture holy tradition are, are part of the one part of the one body of the church, organically linked together. Um, we're just pulling them apart to look at them individually in a kind of artificial way. None none are really separated or isolated from the fullness of the life of the church. Um, um, when you take when you take them out of the context of holy tradition, you run into trouble. We say when the reformers spoke of sola scriptura sola scriptura as the Bible only as sufficient we say already that was taking scripture Bible only, We, we were, that was taking scripture out of its proper context um, that the, uh, the scripture belongs in the church the church is a scriptural church it's the written record of God's revelation of doctrine, the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit Um, but that sola scriptura can become can can become sola ego me only I have some things on that Uh, pass that out next week yes go ahead
2: as soon as you say the, the Bible alone is the only thing that means that somewhere in the worship that's got messed up, somewhere in the councils got messed up, all of the church fathers are wrong, all of the lives of the saints are messed up, the canon law is wrong, the icons are wrong. It really is sola ego because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're assuming that you know better than how many ever hundreds of years of worship, councils, fathers, saints, canon law, and icons.
0: Yeah, well, from a Protestant point of view, if, to question. Well, what's wrong with the bible you're saying something's wrong with the bible the bible's insufficient and and it and it may it, it you know sounds that way but we're just saying that the bible was never intended to be the sole teaching reality of our, in our life it's the holy tradition it's the whole package it's the context within when you remove and and we would say the history of it proves itself when you remove the Bible from church tradition and you make it the sole authority, what do you ha- what happens? you get two thousand denominations you just do I mean we have and all claiming to believe the Bible to refer to the scripture the Bible is the authority we look to the Bible it's a bible believing church and that doesn't mean people don't get it seventy five percent right but if you just look to the Bible and you believe it and take it at work and you you really try not to push press your theology on it too much just be, read the word of god and, i mean sure there's not it's not it's not that you're on the totally on the wrong path of life and on the wrong track you know better to just go bicycling on sunday no you read the word of god and be in the yes but we're just saying the fullness of the expression of the christian life is not confined to me and my Bible and never was intended to be. It was intended to be God guarding his people in the Holy Spirit. Fact, As,
1: it's kind of like you were saying earlier with families. A friend of mine shared a really helpful analogy about families and holy tradition and how it all works. I won't go into it. But, but with your analogy of telling the family history, it would kind of be like someone saying, I'm just going to get this little booklet that we've written on the family history and go off by myself and read that Rather than go to the family gatherings and hear Aunt Susan tell me about Grandma Mary and all, and hear all of the stories from the family and hold the memorabilia in our hands and pass on those blankets and all yes, those kind of things, exactly, it would it would be a an odd thing to do in that context, no. and yet and religiously, because of various historical reasons, we don't feel like it's an odd thing to do in this context, as if. Like you said earlier, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit was traditioned or given to us by the Lord Jesus, um, that's the life of God guiding the church throughout the centuries. And even though it might have been faint at times and there might have been mostly heretics (laughs) and and a small church moving along, he never abandoned the church. And it, it just seems kind of weird that there's this big gap between the New Testament, nothing apparently good happened, and then the Reformation. Yeah. We have
0: felt that too when we have had parish anniversaries, where okay, we're gonna let's write a history of where we, where we are to this point. That parish history is an outline of some major points, mm-hmm. but it doesn't talk about Joe's baptism and Jane's baptism and 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 this this funeral and that part. You know, it does the the real life lived life of the, the real history. I mean, it just kind of skirts over you know that. Mm-hmm. So it's never it's not. It, that doesn't cap like you're saying the written a written record like that as well written as it could be is not going to capture the 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 real family history of of, of a given community you know
1: and even saint john talks about if we were to write everything jesus did we, all the books in the whole world could contain it exactly you know and yeah. actually uh dan pointed this out to me from the orthodox study bible i never noticed this but saint paul says it's more blessed to give than receive that's nowhere in the gospels
0: Yes, but and he's he knew, quoting Jesus. He knew
1: it, and he's quoting Jesus, and it's yeah. authoritative, and you have to live by it, Yes, but it's nowhere in the Gospels. Yes. So it's like the family knows the family stories, yeah. and we pass them along.
0: And of course, the Lord said more than what's written <laughs> in the Gospels. Yeah. You know? It's just Of course he did. Of okay. course he did. Live
2: yeah. 33 years, and you only have four Gospels. Before. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, if, if, but, and if you, if you, how many pages of, of, of his word do we have? You know, is it, uh, is it a hundred pages? Maybe, I mean, might be you know, of what he actually said.
1: I think but that the, word, doesn't, the know, worry is a valid worry that.
0: And he wrote in red, you know that. He did. Right. <laughs> but
1: the, the worry is that something could be passed on that, that might not actually have been said, We might be led astray. But I found it interesting to think about, not only that the Holy Spirit guides, the church and all, to all truth, but also that uh, the Christian teaching was public. You could go to yeah. a man, a person who knew the Lord Jesus, and taught those things publicly, not, not hiding them. Yeah, you know, there was a sort of a verification there. Um,
0: yeah, and one of our verifications is the next generation after the apostles, Saint uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp of Smyrna. Mm-hmm. They they knew. Saint John, they knew the Apostle John, he outlived and was the only one not martyred, so of course he outlived the other eleven and he's with the church into the beginning of, even of the, of the second century and um, they learned at his knee they learned from him so what they what they are handing down is direct from the from the tradition from the apostles. there's no break, there's no like oh no, what do we do now? We're lost. You know how do we how do we figure this out? Oh, fifteenth century we finally sixteen hundreds we finally figured it out. No, I mean it was it was given. Yes.
1: And just to kind of add to that, without going too deep into it, the only time that the gospels ever talk about Christ Himself writing anything is when um, the woman is caught in adultery, and He writes on the ground, and it doesn't even say what He wrote. So there's there's that kind of element of tradition of second-hand, third-hand accounts of people exactly. who have heard people and people... Yep. He
0: never wrote anything except there when he wrote on the ground. This one father writes, St. Nikolai, in fact, of, of Serbia, who was a 20th century bishop, but um, he he's the, he claims, he argues that the Lord was writing down the sins of all those guys. Because <laughs> he said, he who was well at sin cast the first stone. And he starts, <laughs> He starts writing down, you know, John stole money from the synagogue and you know, and so forth, and, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Throw the stones down, we'll just walk. let <laughs> going head off now. Yeah.
3: I think um, one of the hardest things for me when I was Protestant, too, were all the, the minor disagreements within the Scriptures that people would point out. Um, just, you know, not just grammatical errors, but small differences and accounts that are very explainable when it comes to, you know, this is being passed orally and the, the greater picture as being conveyed by the Holy Spirit but when all you have is the Bible and the Bible in in little minor places does disagree with itself and you're taught that all of it is perfectly correct and perfectly essential then it, that was a really hard point for me
0: oh yeah and you have to and and people will fight and say no the Bible is inerrant and, it's, and there's right. no contradiction Now we would say there's no the there's no of, yeah.
3: you believe the Bible or if you don't believe in the Bible you don't believe in so it just it yeah. was it was it, put on a little bit too high of a pedestal, and so yeah. you know any
0: small. But again, I mean, we it. we revere the gospel. We kiss the gospel book. We read it. We 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 treasure it. We um, embroider it, and all that. But, um, and but but yeah, if you when you make that the soul the got the handbook for church life, it appears. That the result, and again, not casting aspersions, but it appears you get Baptist, Presbyterians, Methodists, etc., etc., etc. Church of God, Church of Christ, Church of God in Christ, the Apostle Church, Overcoming something, and all that. I mean, it's you know, you. It, it seems like it. It's the very claim for it to be sufficient has been undermined by the witness of 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 the of the Reformation unfolding that. Um, People can't seem to agree when it's when it's the script when it's solo, when it's the Bible alone. Yes,
2: I think it was uh, Saint Justin Popovich who pointed out that the only real difference between Roman Catholics and Protestants is the uh, number of popes you have. Roman Catholics have one pope, and Protestants, everyone is
0: his own pope. Well, theoret, I mean, it, it's not, and again, that sounds like hey, you guys are. Come on now, but it, there's a point to that. There's a truth to that in the sense that you're you you are you are what's the word you're you're been deputized you you and your body you can inter, you you know in the refer you're given the scripture and you can trust yourself now you can say the holy spirit's guiding me you know but you know again we we say that the lord does not say this to this person and that to that person he doesn't give this interpretation of scripture that to this one and this Interpretation to another one, you know, and from this you get Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses too. You get David Koresh. You get you get Jim Jones. You get extremes of that aren't even uh, you know, in the name of Christ that aren't even really Christian in 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 any solid biblical sense as we understand it, and and yet very popular and very well known and so forth, but not. I mean, not Jim Jones, and but I'm saying, the witnesses and the and the Mormons. We all know who they are. We all encounter them, and they're all right. And but, you know, the a good Baptist would say, well, they're not really Christians, they're, and they're not. And he's the Baptist is right, because they don't believe Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, as as the church has always understood. So, but it all came out of a, a reading of the Bible of a guy who has another idea. So again, the Bible's not at fault. It's misuse. It's it's. We're going to talk. I mean, pe- people reject holy tradition because what well, Christ says about the scripture says about well, the traditions of men. You know, reject. But we're not talking about the, the traditions of men have been unfolded in in the Reformation experience, where it's it's everybody having a different tradition, a different idea of what's to what's to be handed down. Um, again, we keep the scripture within its context of of the whole. Life of the Church, guided by God, guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, another another way, if you take something out of the, the context of Holy Tradition or the icons, if you take the icons and make them just art objects, like I you know, I've heard about people over the years, even in Birmingham. Well, there's a guy in Bistavi that collects icons. Well, I'm not happy about it. it doesn't that doesn't perk me up? It doesn't give me a thrill? Because the icons don't belong. As someone's in art, someone's art collection. Deeper context behind that, there probably are. Originally, were sold from by the communists out of Russia to the West to help fund the revolution. Stolen from the churches, desecrated churches. They took the icons and sold them in in Western um, art auction houses, and they became collectors' items and tra- and so forth, an and art object. Au- the, the icon belongs in the context of faith and worship and in the life of the church. So that's a you know it's a, another misuse of, of something of holy tradition. We would say, and um, that all these things belong and come alive in the live life of the church. When they're taken out of that, then they 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 suffer. They wither like the branches cut off from the vine.
1: It's interesting too that early in the church you had people who. Like Arius and others, who took the scriptures and tried to interpret them, were very good biblical scholars and had wrong opinions. I recall is talking about some people take the Gospels and they arrange the pieces in such a way they get a picture of a fox, but the Church arranges it in such a way as we get a crystal clear mosaic of the Lord. Sure. You know, and so you know, like,
0: Arius is one of the first cult leaders. You know, he's one of the first. <laughs> he's one of the first heretics. Um, you know that. Uh, he he's very much of a similar mind as those who would come after him later, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I mean he's there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are Arians. I mean, in effect, they they are, and so um, it, the whole the old the old heresies recycle themselves. You know, mm-hmm.
2: he took John three sixteen, probably one of the best beloved scriptures, because it says, "For God so loved the world that he you know gave his only begotten Son." Arius took that and said. Because it says that uh, the son was begotten, therefore it means that there was a time the uh, the son was not, because he had to be forgotten.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 the the this the the spirit of I've got a better idea has has, has always been in art, the human race. The spirit of well, I know that the difference then is though there's that one church that's clearly the clearly defined as one church. So either you're in or you're out. You know, when Arius challenges the church, the church ultimately says, you're out. Even though he had a huge following, and it was a, it was a huge, really, split and in schism in the, in the very heart of the church. Because right after the church is, is relieved from martyrdom and suffering, then you get this guy saying, well, Jesus really isn't God after all, and, and, and he's very charismatic. He, write little, he, he used to write little songs. He wrote song, little 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 ditties, little little cute little songs about how Jesus isn't God and and everybody's. No, I'm serious. He was this, you know, and all these guys, the the other human, they talk about the solar ego. All these guys are charismatic, charming people. Want to be with them, following them, and with their weird ideas. Yeah. Uh, just
3: on the topic of tradition and heresy, I was thinking um, it's it's not just a case in orthodoxy of sort of. In the history of the church that were quite dark. I mean, I don't know if that would that would have been the fifth, sixth century when Arianism, Nestorianism, some of these heresies had a huge sway. You know, like I was thinking about remembering St. Maximus and this idea of the Pope and the Patriarch, and, and yeah. uh, maybe even the majority of the bishops were in heresy. Yeah. And so when it comes to a dark dark moments like that, um, you know, I think in conversations like with, with Roman Catholics, it's, it's a little easier because well, there's a papacy and there's a magisterium and Hope is not great. There's sort of this institution that will never falter. But um, you, know, you know, what does an Orthodox Christian look to? And ultimately, is it, is it trusting that through prayer that the Holy Spirit will never lead us astray if we're genuinely seeking? Uh, if you see what I'm asking.
0: Yeah, but I mean, but but
2: Just go to Holy Tradition, like what Saint Athanasius the Great said when he rebuked Arius. Which of the Fathers? Has taught this as yeah. you do. Which father before you has taught as you do? None it, of them
0: have. Yeah, it tends to be, and it. I mean, at this point, at least in church history, it, it's it's not even majority rules. It's it's the fact that if somebody's off the rails teaching something, the other ninety nine point nine nine percent of the church is going to say, "Your the fathers didn't say that." Well, even at the, the so it's not even a. You don't have to call a council to say that this is heresy. You just know it. You just the church just knows itself in the sense of you know. It's hard to explain that. I, I mentioned. I don't think I did. Um, when I went to Switzerland to the school and the Rush, there was a Russian deacon with me, did I talk about that? In this class? No, no, not in this class. Yeah. Um, and this this is off the point maybe, but. So I went to this. We went to this this ecumenical school. Like professor wanted me to go, and I'm the I'm an American Orthodox representative. There's a Russian Orthodox deacon representing his church, and this is in the this is I'm dating myself. This is in the early 1980s. He grew up under communism, Soviet system. That world. I grew up in America, capitalism. You know, um, apple pie and all that, and. Um, two different worlds, socially, politically, economically. When we came together, we were like instant brothers because we, we, we had the faith in common. It's like we spoke the same language, even though his English was much better than my Russian. Um, we just, there was an understanding that, that I didn't have with the Americans. There was other American students there that were kind of off the, they were a little weird, and um, uh, theologically. And um, I didn't, I wasn't connecting with them at all. But here, you know, we didn't have anything in common, like the world would say, economically, socially, politically. We were different systems, different, and and two systems that were at odds, where the Cold War at odds with each other at that time, two to opposing, but we weren't opposed at all because of our the faith we had in common, which is Jesus Christ. But, it, but in the Orthodox understanding of that, in the broader sense of, because everybody's there theoretically in the name of Jesus Christ, it's an ecumenical school and gathering. But a lot of them people weren't interested in Jesus, you know. And uh especially the Westerners, the Americans and Europeans where well, the Africans were wonderful. They were like gospel rooted, sound, solid people. But uh there was a lot of a lot of peculiar peculiar uh, teachings going on there, but um or attitudes. But um the point there is there's you know. There's the knowing. I mean is yeah, you can the fathers, you can check it, but when you when you're in the faith enough, when you, you hear heresy it's you, you, you kinda of sense it, you feel it. You may not be able to articulate or explain it, but it doesn't sound right. You know. So when Orthodox a lot of times they'll they'll listen to the radio preachers and they'll say, Father, that didn't sound right. Well you're right, it didn't sound right and stop listening to them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you you, you you get it. Something you're hearing says that didn't that's not right. It doesn't sit that doesn't sound right, you know. And so it um it's it's a little bit that way. You it's not from our point of view Rome is much more changeable because there's one voice at the top that if he moves this way then the whole thing moves If he moves that way the whole thing theoretically moves with him that's a very changeable institution orthodoxy if one patriarch moves this way the other will say come on back or or get out (laughs) it's not like and you know so that it, it's it, there's no you, nobody no one voice or no 10 voices can can take this ship anywhere
3: sort of a holy, holy, stubbornness.
0: It's a holy stubbornness holy stubbornness holy chaos holy uh holy uh division that's that's blessed in a way i mean not, it's a good division in the sense of there's not one there's not one control one hand at the wheel it's mark the holy mark, spirit
2: mark of Ephesus. age, recruit support for Constantinople because the Turks were on the way to to finally sack it to the ground and make it Turkish, Muslim. Mark of Ephesus was the one, one of the few bishops to reject what was going on at the the council of, uh, was it Florence? Florence, Florence, yeah. One of the few, and they came back and the entire church just said, we're with Mark. Yeah. He, he, He has the truth.
0: Yeah yeah i mean have, there have been times where one voice seems to be you know we're relying but it's rare it's rare well, thank you all very much i, I like you. i said i don't get into i take, take too much time with holy tradition but we'll get we'll get we'll get into it god willing we'll meet uh, meet next week on the uh thirtieth